Hey, everybody. Welcome to the pre-roll for Electric Liberty Land, episode 144. And I want to tell you guys, we have a brand new Patreon level that you can get on in while the getting's good at 50 bucks. Now, we've had levels before, obviously, 5, 10, 15, even 25. Of course, 25 gets you on our monthly Mufasa Pride calls where you get to give feedback on the show and even talk a little bit about the Boogaloo, which is what we got into on the call we just did on Monday. Uh, you got to be on the calls to find out what we talk about past that, though. High-level teaser. That's what we call those in the biz. But now we got a new $50 level, guys, which you could get in on it. Now, that comes with all the stuff that you'd expect from the other levels, including a 30% discount, a free taxation is death mug, a free T-shirt, our Monday through Friday email with news links, our joining the Zoom call, the Mufasa Zoom call. But also, if you're active for three months at that $50 level, you get to choose a conspiracy corner topic for us to cover on a public show or a movie for us to do a review of. And not only that, you get to come on the show and tell us why you wanted that topic or that show. I'm not saying it's going to make you a star. I'm not saying this is your moment where people stop the tour bus going down Hollywood Boulevard and pull you off or they find you carpentering your ass off like Harrison Ford, which is in itself not really a true story. I'm just saying this could make you the biggest deal at the next libertarian event you go to. So go to patreon.com forward slash lions of liberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. One potato, two potato, three potato, four, five potato, six potato, seven potato, more. You can only get that kind of quality welcome on the one and only Electric Liberty Land, episode number 144. Of course, you can find all the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL144. And you know, fucking Mark, Mark Claire, give me shit, man. Because I say forward slash, I've always said forward slash. I know everybody just says slash now, but you know what? You slash people are what's wrong with society. God damn it. You're the emoji culture. Now it's ruining people. People are texting. They're texting like a bunch of tards. They're dropping syllables. They're dropping words. You're the dumbing down of society. Damn it. Forward slash forever. Hashtag forward slash forever. Attica. Attica. I'll fight to the death for that. And I'll keep my goddamn Oxford comma too. Anywho, welcome to the show. I'm Brian McWilliams, as you probably well know. Now, this show, I think I'm going to start off by talking a little bit about this whole Houthi situation out in Yemen. Now, if you're not familiar with the situation as it stood, the Houthis took, uh, took credit for bombing Saudi Arabia's oil pipelines. There's been back and forth action typically dominated by Saudi Arabia, which has a vast military advantage as far as armament because, oh yeah, that's right, we give them all their weapons, sell some, I'm sure provide others free of charge, and naturally Trump had fought tooth and nail to keep arms sales to Saudi Arabia going over protestations from people like Rand Paul and others. But 
continues to fund the Saudi Arabian war, continues to provide them with the absolute best in military hardware uh, to the tune of billions of dollars, which goes to our military industrial complex. And of course, we also help them in this proxy effort by aiding and refueling, aiding and, tra- aiding and transport, uh, basically aiding the Saudis in committing what essentially is added up to be a genocide against the people in Yemen. And as far as I know, none of that's really changed. We still have people dying by the thousands and the hundreds of thousands. We still have children dying of cholera and all sorts of diseases that really only occur if your life has gone to a medieval era stage as far as your health care, as far as your uh, ability to stay clean and to have running water, to have food uh, coming in reliably. Now, I don't know if you can consider this latest news good news or bad news. Obviously, as somebody who's anti-war overall, I would say it is empirically bad news because several hundred people were killed and uh, you know probably hundreds more injured and thousands were captured. However, those people that were killed happened to be Saudi Arabian soldiers to the tune of 500. Uh, the, you know, the other few hundred that were injured, also Saudi Arabian soldiers. And of course the ones that were captured also Saudi Arabian soldiers, in addition to some Pakistani and, uh, Qatari mercenaries that were fighting for the cause. Now this came in Najran when three entire Saudi brigades were wiped out in a military operation that took about 72 hours per the latest reports that I'm reading. And what I'm getting my information from at the moment is antiwar.com, of course, highly read site within our circles uh, and a great site. But they do point out this has gotten virtually zero media coverage. You know, a war that we're aiding and aiding the Saudi Arabians, our quote unquote allies, despite the fact that, you know, nine out of 15 or whatever of the bombers of 9-11 came from Saudi Arabia and they continue to fund the terrorist organizations that attack America. But... This comes with virtually zero media coverage. But our allies, Saudi Arabia, got dealt a massive military loss. Now, they've released a lot of the captives. Uh, you know, they, there was videos coming out. They, the Saudi Arabians actually, or not Saudis, the, uh, the Houthis actually posted a video of this, which was crazy to see. But they set up ambushes. They lured the brigades into a track trap, and then they just fired it up. And as I said... I don't want to root for human suffering. I don't want to root for deaths, but it does seem to have some karmatic sort of um, resonance with me that the Saudis have finally been punched right in the fucking eye after all of the heinous war crimes they've committed against the Yemeni, uh, Yemen people. So anyway, I want to start with that, mostly because it's now interesting to see because we're hearing Saudi Arabia saying they're going to broker a deal with Iran, which is interesting to try to get the U.S. and Iran together. Now, granted, there was supposed to be a deal with France and Iran setting up a call together with the United States, which fell apart. So I don't know what to believe from any of these talks about calls with Iran. But we're now seeing that the Saudis have been dealt this huge blow. They're painting it as though this is a last act of desperation. However, Doing this kind of thoroughly planned out military initiative to deal a devastating blow to your enemy doesn't seem like a last ask. I cannot say it. Last act of desperation. I had to stop and re-record that line because I kept saying last ask and I just fucking did it again. 
last act of desperation. It certainly seems as though they're emboldened by the strike that they had on the oil pipelines. Now they're saying, okay, well, you know, we're figuring this out. And I've said this time and time again, even with the military as dominating as Saudi Arabia's is with all the military technology and the power and the money they have from the United States, uh, we see that when you're dealing with the guerrilla armed force that's motivated and willing to defend their homeland, despite the incredible costs that they're suffering, and these, like I was describing the situation earlier, and these conditions these people are living in, well, you're not going to win that war. And we're seeing the tide is turning. Because I'm sure the Saudi troops are getting tired of fighting this war. Meanwhile, now the Houthis just dealt them the biggest blow in this conflict. You're telling me this is the last act? It doesn't sound like it to me. It sounds like they are getting emboldened. It sounds like they're getting their tactics down straight. It sounds like, if anything, Saudi Arabia should pull the fuck out of there as quick as possible because their losses are going to mount a lot faster than the ones on the Yemen side. And if they don't, that means that they're just carpet bombing entire regions of Yemen, murdering even more civilians, in which case all of this talk about Trump and Ukraine and this impeachment bullshit should really take a backseat to the conversation about war crimes that are ongoing under the president of the United States, sanctioned by his department of the state, sanctioned by our military, and with his rubber stamp of approval, especially considering the goddamn arms sales I referenced earlier. And after this, this defeat they're dealt, you got to wonder, are we now going to get pressured to give more arms? Are we going to be, be putting, I, I know we already amassed troops in Saudi Arabia. Are our troops now going to go in and start fighting the Yemen people directly? Are we now going to go fight these fucking Houthi rebels? Who I think we might have armed, by the way. I'm 90% sure we actually armed the Houthi rebels in order to try to fight Al-Qaeda and other regional terrorist factions. And naturally now they're using the guns against us and our allies. But if we get drawn into this, then there is no excuse for a national discussion about war crimes, about genocide being enabled and enacted by the United States to, to dominate the conversation nationally. I mean, it's one thing where we can dance around the issue and say, well, we're just providing support and tactical advice to the Saudis. If we're actually having troops go in there and take part in this, in this population that is devastated? Well, that's a whole nother bucket of corn chips. You like that? I just made that up. You guys feel free to use it. <laughs> Make it into a new t-shirt for Lions of Liberty. Brian says that's a whole nother bucket of corn chips. I've had a couple of whiskeys, by the way, before this episode, guys. I'll be honest with you. I have a, uh, you know, it's funny. I have a, I swear to God, you know, constant maladies. I uh, now have a tweaked nerve. Because I got back from New York, I did the show last week when I was all tired. Although, still, great SpongeBob uh, SquarePants rendition parody with Greta Thurberg, Thun, Thunberg, whatever the fuck her name is. Uh, but then later that week, I was like, all right, I got to get back into shape, man. I got to keep my, my sweet bod together. This is what the Liberty Ladies are listening in for. And so I did this hardcore training with the guy, and I, do, I had been doing it every two weeks, and then I took some time off, obviously, for the travel. And man, I came back doing it hard doing my kickboxing, doing my boxing, doing my grappling. Man. So I like definitely pinched a nerve in my neck. I went to my doctor yesterday. I'm just like not sleeping at all now. One of those things you're like, you lie. And there's no comfortable position, just like shooting, searing pain going through my back and my arm and my neck. Went to my doctor. Now I got muscle relaxers. I'm on steroids. Fired up! 
So anyway, drinking some whiskey to try to uh, to try to dull the pain here, and uh, yeah, probably a little loopier than usual in the show. That's all right. So anyway, this whole situation now, we'll see what's going to happen with it. Uh, it certainly, I've not heard anything really. Like I said, I, it doesn't seem like there's no media coverage for it, but I've not heard anything recent about the military moving in and actually taking action within Yemen. But we shall see. And just because our military isn't officially taking part doesn't mean that it's not covertly taking part. As we know, we are actionable with uh, different groups, literally, you know, like the the Green Berets and the Navy SEALs and whoever else, Delta Force, are all over in Africa. They're all throughout the Middle East. They're probably already in Yemen. You know, we only find out about these things when a Black Hawk crashes or somebody actually gets shot in enemy territory. That's how we go, oh, so you say we were over there. And it would not surprise you if there's another one of those situations. But let's move on because I want to talk about, and I talked about this story quite a few episodes ago, but we got to talk about one of the, the rare victories for the populace against the blue line and the uh the blue machine big blue like university of michigan who i hate so i'm happy to uh i'm happy to associate go big blue michigan with uh big blue the men in blue and the thin blue line because we have seen now former dallas police officer amber geiger 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 i don't know g-u-y-g-e-r you tell me she has been convicted of murder. And if you're not familiar with this story, she essentially came home from work and I can't find any reports as whether or not she was a little drunk or not, but she comes home to her apartment building, gets off the elevator and she's in her, like, you know, she's in her blues. She's in her cop blues. She gets off the elevator. She's armed, opens the door to an apartment that would coincide with her apartment. However, she's on the wrong floor of the apartment. Now, there's no reports how the hell she opened the goddamn door to this apartment. I guess the door was unlocked at the time. But she opens the door. A 26-year-old man named Botham Jean is sitting on his couch eating ice cream and watching TV. So, she opens the door, sees this guy sitting on a couch eating ice cream and watching TV, and fucking shoots him. And he dies. And she claimed that this was in self-defense because she mistook him for a burglar. Now, this, of course, raises several questions. Number one, and this is why I wonder if she's drunk or high or on meth or anything else, you know, whatever, whatever she might have been on, but we don't have any official reports of that. Number one, when you open the door and you walk in, how the fuck do you not go, oh, you know what? This doesn't look like my apartment because nothing in here belongs to me. None of the furniture is in any of the places that I left it at. And also, it's not the same furniture. Seems like that would be kind of, you know, the things that might run through your mind before you could pull your gun out and shoot a guy. But no, none of that went through her mind. Apparently, she walked in and goes, well, shit, you know, I I don't remember redecorating this, but it certainly does look blacker in here. (laughs) I mean, it's just like, it's just ridiculous. Because are we to believe that her taste sensibilities were the same the 31 white cop and a, a 26-year-old black man, you know, both Ikea. Maybe that's, maybe I should, I, you know, we don't see color here. We don't feel color and nobody shops color, right? But no, she walks in, doesn't notice that 
Nothing is the exact same in her apartment as uh, when she last left it. Doesn't under, doesn't realize that a guy is just sitting on the couch eating ice cream, and that on its own is a little strange. If somebody's robbing you for a guy to just take a kind of timeout break to eat some fucking ice cream and watch TV, because I understand at times. Look, if Hunt for Red October's on the TV, or Blade Runner, or Step Brothers, I'm stopping and I'm watching. So maybe one of those things caught Botham Gene if he's robbing this place. But no, no. Just pulls out her gun and fucking shoots the guy. No, hey, stop. No, what are you doing? No, freeze. You know, any of those things that cops are basically taught when they go through the program, when they tell you you should not just pull out your gun and shoot somebody immediately, even if they're in your own home. And by the way, don't you have the advantage considering the fact that you'd have the advantage of surprise? You're also armed. You're also trained. No, not this dumbass. Shoots him dead. And then, they don't mention this in the in the media coverage going on right now, uh, but... At the time, the cops went in and searched his apartment, and the police department said that they found some weed. Now, we can all see where that angle's going, because they're clearly trying to build a case that Botham Jean was either a drug dealer or a dangerous drug user or a dangerous criminal, anything to help this dumb bitch get off. Fortunately, unlike in so many other situations, fortunately, the community at large, the community as a whole of the internet, of the, the national thinking community stood up and said, go fuck yourself. And the police department backed off and said, okay, we're not going to win this one. And thus, we now have a conviction for Amber Geiger, who now is facing, and I apologize, I don't have the sentencing. It was like Tuesday afternoon, and I haven't been able to find the latest. Actually, I don't think they even revealed it yet, but she was facing what I believe was to be manslaughter charges, even though it was clearly murder, but I guess you could say it wasn't premeditated, but I think manslaughter charges and something between five and 99 years is what she's looking at. So, you know, I hope she goes to jail for a very long time. I'm sure the fact that she was a cop will adjust that sentence and probably she'll get 10 years or something like that. But still, this is a victory. This is a victory for accountability. This is a victory over fucking crony, corrupt police unions and police investigations that protect their own. You know, I, it, we've seen so many times where cops just get off. They don't go to jail. They don't face anything. And they just get, okay, now you get your pension for the rest of your life, but you're no longer a cop. What a punishment for killing somebody. So this is fantastic, fantastic to see. And I hope this bitch sits in jail for a long time. All right, next topic before the break is that Saturday Night Live. Big ratings drop in the season premiere. They brought back Donald Trump in the guise of Alec Baldwin, or Alec Baldwin in the guise of Donald Trump. And in its 45th season, it dropped approximately 30% in the key 18 to 49-year-old demographic. Also, 15% decrease in overall viewers. Now, obviously, we all know Saturday Night Live has become utterly politicized. It was always left-leaning because of the people doing it were left-leaning, as a lot of people just in entertainment and comedy tend to be. However, it has essentially become a platform for Democrats to bash Trump, bash Republicans, uh, and as such, not surprising that they've lost the entire middle of the country. And really, they lost me. I'm not a rabid GOP supporter. I'm not, a, you know, I'm obviously very much in the middle, as are most of you listening. However, 
number one, Saturday Night Live just isn't funny anymore. And it's funny to see, I don't know if you guys saw this recent story, but the guy who directed the Joker movie that just came out, and he had directed The Hangover, he directed uh, Old School, he directed Road Trip, he directed a bunch of classic comedies that were, well, that are still hilarious, still hold up, that are very inappropriate, that obviously don't kowtow to the fucking woke bullshit culture of the day, and now you'd never be able to make. So that guy that directed Joker, and I apologize, I'll try to find his name real quick as I'm talking, but the guy who directed Joker, he came out, he said, yeah, I'm not going to do any more comedies. He goes, why would you? Todd Phillips is his name. So he goes, why would I do any more comedies? He goes, I have no interest in doing it because in the woke culture, how are you, how are you supposed to do a reverent comedy? How are you supposed to do any sort of comedy that goes against norms or that challenges the means or that just plays on stereotypes or that just can be irreverent and goofy and not give a fuck without having the Twitter mob come after you immediately and try to ruin your life. So he said, fuck it, because I'm not doing it anymore. And he goes, and you know what? A lot of the people I know feel the same way. So essentially, this is Todd Phillips, a man who was known for creating some of the greatest film comedies we have, saying, you've ruined comedy, you fucks. Saturday Night Live is a perfect example of this because Saturday Night Live is comedy in woke culture. Just like The Daily Show, just like Samantha Bee and all these other fucking hacks. It is woke comedy and it only appeals to a very small population of, of the, uh, the comedy watching world. It's people that are so blinded by their hatred for Trump or so blinded by their politics that they just watch to laugh at what they agree with, not to be challenged, not to have clever jokes, not to not at anything irreverent or off the wall. No, they just want to laugh at a slightly, I don't even know what you say, a slightly irreverent version of their political biases. And that's why they tune in. And especially on the heels of Saturday Night Live, announcing, oh, we hired a bunch of new diverse writers. Oh, we checked off those boxes. Good job. Meanwhile, they, of course, fire Shane Gillis, who, if you heard my uh, show with Ryan Stout, because I, yeah, obviously I love Ryan Stout, I will tell you to go listen to his comedy and watch it and download it again. But if you didn't hear that show, we did a whole show about comedy culture, cancel culture, and Shane Gillis, who he's worked with before. You know, you got this guy, Shane Gillis, from all reports, great guy, not a racist. He made some jokes trying to be funny on fucking podcasts. And these assholes go through and dig up through 7,000 hours of podcasts, dig up a, a goopy joke he made about Jew chinks. And now you get him fired from his dream job. This, this guy has just been a working comic. He's not a famous actor. He's nothing. He's brought up from nothing. He had a great audition. He has great comedy sets that people loved. And now you've gone and ruined his fucking career. And Sunday Life fires the motherfucker without even allowing him any shot, without defending him at all. Lorne Michaels rolled over like a bitch and said, hey, come here, you woke culture motherfuckers. Strap on your dildos and fuck this ass raw. Like a little bitch. And so... Again, much like the Saudi Arabians taking a nice little uh, knife in the ear hole there, SNL's taking a nice shot to the chops too. And I encourage every one of my listeners, do not watch Saturday Night Live. Don't. Don't watch it ever again. Maybe we'll tune in. I'll, I'll give you a, tell you what. <laughs> As king dictator of Electric Liberty Land, 
I will give you the okay to watch it again. Because there's only one way this thing turns around, and it's by us voting with our clickers. It's by us voting with our voices on the internet. It's by us tuning out and making the capitalism work for us. Because NBC is still an entity that thrives on money. And if we pull all our support, if we make their ratings go into the goddamn shitter to the point where they got to fire all these woke motherfuckers and get somebody in there that's not their head up their ass, that's actually going to put for real comedy, somebody that's going to defend comedians, defend the comedic process, and actually take some fucking risk with their comedy rather than just putting out leftist talking points bullshit they know will appeal to exactly 25% of the population and 25% of the population only. Well, maybe we'll actually have a show we can watch again. Be a force for good. G.I. Joe. Anyway, fuck Saturday Night Live. Could not be happier at their failure. Hope they continue to fail far into the future, or at least until they come a little bit back to where we're coming from. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. I want to tell you about a very special man and a very special podcast. Let me tell you about a man named Raymond, man behind the wall. Oh, I recommend his podcast to one and all. You guys thought I was going to keep doing that, but I'm definitely not. Anyway, uh, yeah, listen to our buddy Pete Raymond Quinones, formerly Mance Raider, then Pete Raymond, now Pete Quinones, which I'm probably saying wrong. I heard it on good knowledge next name he's going by anwar sadat no idea why he chose it but listen to my buddy anwar sadat's fantastic podcast where he talks to not only people from the liberty movement but a large uh, variety of guests and does really fantastic interviews but of course his show is called free man beyond the wall if you're familiar with pete and his work he is famous for making some great memes and he's still memeing it up out there but go beyond that take a dive through the memes and into the Liberty waters that is free man beyond the wall and uh, tell them the lines of Liberty sent you. Oh yeah. Uh Uh-huh. We're back. All right. Welcome back to electric Liberty land episode number 144. Uh, All of the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL144. Now, coming back in, I want to talk about Bernie Sanders. I got a lot of dumb shit to talk about, by the way. Actually, you know what? Maybe I should save Bernie for the next segment when I get into all the stupid shit I want to talk about because there's like three different stories that are just rife with idiocy. So maybe I should talk a little bit about California first and somebody doing something good, kind of good. Kind of, I mean, it's interesting. It provides some... Provides a little bit of a conundrum. So basically, California has finally, uh, well, not finally, California is the first state to sign a bill allowing college athletes to capitalize on their image, name, and likeness. Because as you know, NCAA rules say nobody can capitalize on it if you're a student. People have varying opinions on this. I, for one, still think that they're getting a free education, uh, whether they use it or not. I also feel that you should not have restrictions on people just going straight into the NFL or the NBA or MLB or whatever they want to do and bypassing college completely. <coughs> so it just makes it into a kind of a, a joke for a year to force people to go into these schools. Now, this bill allows them to say, okay, on January 1st, 2023, so we got a few years, you can get you know endorsement deals, you can have an agent, you can make money off your image out there. 
Not necessarily saying that you are going to be able to trademark with the school using your image, because I'm sure that's something that they would put into a college scholarship agreement where they can use your image, they can sell your jersey, et cetera. But it allows you to go outside and do commercials, outside and do billboards, do product placements, do endorsements, all that other stuff. Now, where this becomes an issue is because if it's only in California, then what's going to happen is that, and this is what the NCA is arguing, and it's a solid point, although the NCA should probably just say anybody can make use of their name and image. They're arguing that now schools in California will essentially have a monopoly on all the best athletes. And this is true. Because if you have one state that's allowing all these athletes to make hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, while they're in college, by utilizing their image, if they're very popular, if they're good at this game at a major school, well, clearly schools in this state, even the shittiest school in California is probably going to immediately become a powerhouse in basketball, baseball, you know, football, hockey, whatever, whatever you might be. Because clearly, why would you go anywhere else? You're going to forgo hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you believe in your talent, if you can go to a major program, of course you're going to come to California. So from the NCAA's standpoint, this is an unfair advantage. This is going to essentially consolidate all of the talent in the entire nation into California. And that point makes solid sense. Of course, playing devil's advocate, as I said earlier, you would just say, well, why don't you just allow anybody to capitalize on their image? Why are you being such cocksuckers? And naturally, this does come into play wherein they are making millions and millions of dollars off these kids' images under the guise of, oh, it's for education. And as I said, I do feel there's a lot of value in being able to get that scholarship. And I believe that, you know, while it's not making the millions that you should make, it's still something where it's laughable to, to discount it as, as nothing. Considering how many people, considering especially the emphasis made on going, everybody having to go to college now, you would give me a fucking break on that front. And considering how many people work incredibly hard, go into debt, you know, have to work four jobs to go to college for these special few to be able to go for free is pretty nice. Okay. I'm like arguing all sides on this. I don't even, I don't even know where I'm still, if you can't tell, I still haven't thought this through completely because this just happened. And so I'm kind of talking through my own mind with you guys now. Regardless, there's no reason to say universally, you own your image. You own the rights to that. You should be able to do with your image, your name, what you want. There's no, there's no reasonable argument to be made against that happening, especially when we see how many injuries occur, right? Let's say you're a collegiate athlete. You're not allowed to go straight to the NFL. So you're in college, right? You're, you're a red shirt. You play one year. You come out the next year. You're kicking ass. You're taking names. And then you blow your fucking knee out. Whoops. There goes that. Now, fortunately for you, you do still have a scholarship. You can still make the most of that. But, you know, I'm not saying all of these stud athletes are fucking a bunch of dullards, but a lot of them are. So, you know, what's that degree worth to you now? So something like this makes a lot of sense when you take in the injury context that a lot of these athletes face, when you take in a lot of the risk and uncertainty that they, uncertainty that they face. Because even if you don't get hurt, there's no guarantee you're going to make it the next level. I mean, look at a Reggie Bush. Yeah, he went to the NFL. He was kind of successful. But the amount of money 
Reggie Bush, who played, I know a lot of you guys aren't, aren't sports guys. He played at USC back when USC was at the height of its power, University of Southern California, back when current Seahawks coach Pete Carroll was still there, cheating, by the way, cheating like a motherfucker, um, as were all of his recruits, which is why they took away Reggie Bush's Heisman, because he was getting paid off. But if you're in that school at that time, you're probably pulling in millions of dollars a year. Millions. And it's a joke to argue that this somehow would infringe on the collegiate academic side because these kids aren't staying in school for the academics anyway. And most of these schools are complicit, with the exception of, of Penn State and very few others, uh, are complicit in essentially giving away grades to athletes. They don't have to show up to classes. They get a free pass. It's not a, you know, athletic excellence is not emphasized as much as on the field excellence. And they know that, you know, the, the freaking half tards coming out of Alabama uh, that are inbred for football excellence, you know, those people aren't going to college classes every day and acing their tests. They're there for one reason and one reason only, and that's to show up for two years, maximum three, move along the NFL, give the school a good rep to pull in more NFL quality players. So in regards to the NCAA's complaints, their, op their opposition to this, I understand where it's coming from. It makes sense in the context of if you're not going to give anybody else permission to do this, fine, but fuck off, fuck you. You don't own these kids. You know, it's like South Park did a whole thing about crack baby basketball, essentially making reference to this where, you know, it's not a slave plantation. You don't own these people while they're there. You can't say what they can and can't do with your own name and your own body and your own rights. And time has come. So I applaud California for taking this step. I applaud them for forcing this issue. And this is a fight the NCAA will lose. There's too much money at stake for these athletes. There's too many class action lawsuits that are going to come their way. And any rational human being will look at this and say, it's time. Your arguments don't hold water. They don't hold up empirically. And there's far too much to lose for these kids. So good job, Gavin Newsom, on this one issue. Now, please, can we have a Gavin Newsom recall, which I'd assign? I want to recall that motherfucker. Everything else he's done is absolutely heinous. Uh, I, I kind of hope he dies of some sort of super feline AIDS. I don't know what that would take. I don't know if a cat's going to crawl into his body. I don't know if a cat has to sneeze into his mouth. I don't know if he has to eat cat feces. Whatever it takes, if you're a cat out there that has access to Gavin Newsom and you have feline AIDS, please call the Lions of Liberty hotline, 1-800-FELINE-AIDS. F-E-L. Now, that's too many letters. <laughs> uh, how about this? Lion Aid. <laughs> okay, good. 1-800-LION-AID. Call my hotline. Somebody will get back to you. I'll have our, uh, our virtual assistant get in touch with you right away. All the cat, and if you want, just please uh, kill Gavin Newsom with your feline diseases. All right. Uh, let's move on to Bernie Sanders. So Bernie Sanders has got his new plan to go after the highest earning CEOs. Do you like how Bernie Sanders plans, by the way? It switches from, we got to go after the 1%, and then he becomes a millionaire. You know, we got to go after the the millionaires. And then he gets his, his book, and he buys his fourth house, or whatever the fuck it is, and now he's a millionaire, and now it's, we have to go after the billionaires. And now we have to go after the high earning CEOs and uh, you know income inequality within these companies. It's, uh, the CEO's fault, we have to tax them. Fucking, what a goddamn shyster. God, what a shyster. So anyway, his new plan is to tax companies with high-earning CEOs. And 
he is saying that this boost in corporate taxes will be imposed on companies that bring in $100 million or more in annual revenue. And I would say uh, there's no uh, there's no projection right now, but some of the things in this article, which proposes a tax of, uh, it's a kind of a progressive tax. So if the CEO or highest paid employee of a company makes more than 50 times, but not more than 100 times that of the median worker, the corporate taxes go up by half a percent. For those where the top employee earns between 101 times and 200 times more than a typical worker, taxes increase by 1%, et cetera. So this would end with an increase of 5% at most on taxes for firms with CEOs who reap 500 times more than the median employee. Naturally, like anything with taxes, this will probably face constitutional challenges. Uh, it certainly seems something that would violate the Constitution as far as taxation policies go. However, just from a, a functional standpoint, as with all of Bernie's plans, number one, this is going to bring in at most probably $10 billion. So it's not going to pay for jack shit. Uh, number two, if we're going to talk about this practically, right? He's saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to have this tax to erase income inequality. Now, Bernie Sanders, in his feeble old man bird brain, he thinks that somehow in this cold oatmeal mush he calls a mind, that these corporations are going to raise the median level of pay for the employees based upon this legislation, right? Unless this is just a clear money grab, in which case that's going to be a tough one to sell because if he's literally just saying, I don't care about the median payment level for these companies, the median, pardon me, keep saying median, I don't care about the median income level. I only care about the government fucking these companies out of money. Tough, tough one to sell on stage. If his argument is that this tax and its intent is to force companies into raising the median wage levels for people, well, okay, I understand why you'd think that would happen. But what's not going to happen is that. What is going to happen is that they're going to lower the pay rates for the CEOs to the point where they don't have to pay this tax. So you're essentially going to decrease the income inequality by forcing people to take a massive pay cut at the top level. You're not helping the poor people. What you are going to help is the shareholders who are going to reap profits now that you're not paying the CEOs. And if Bernie Sanders wasn't absolutely economically fucking retarded, he would understand that. If he had any experience working within the business world, which of course he does not because he has worked at a commune where he was kicked out of for being too lazy and then got into government. Now, if he had ever worked a real job in his life, been in a business or understand the corporate mentality, he would know this plan makes no sense. That at best... All it can do is hope to be a cash grab. And maybe that's all he wants, as I said. But that's going to be a real tough sell, especially for something that's probably not constitutional. So Bernie Sanders is another winning concept, everybody. And I think I think Elizabeth Warren, I, you know, I, I don't have time to look into it now, but I think Elizabeth Warren has something kind of mimicking this because Elizabeth Warren likes to take Bernie's ideas and then trot him out and do her little fucking weird Hitler dance on stage where she gives zig hails and then does a robot. Um, but basically it's like Bernie light. So I'm sure it's something similar to this as far as its idiocy. And just like Bernie's plan, 
will accomplish nothing. Oh, God, I'm starting to lose my voice. I'm actually, I'm a little concerned. Maybe, God, maybe the reason I'm feeling so weird, uh, God. Yeah, it's like John Oderman, I was joking with him. He was like, oh, I think we're all done, Degenerate Gamblers, and uh, which is our, our gambling and telling crazy stories show, which you do not want to miss, by the way. I'm currently winning. And by the way, if you want some money-making picks, I am currently winning, making money this year, making money on all sides. But uh, yeah, we do our show where we take our gambling picks, we, we play with our pride members, and uh, we tell stories of the past and present, and it is uh, quite the hootenanny. But uh, oh, John was joking. He's like, you know, I'm surprised you haven't gotten into your I'm sick every week time of the year. And shit, man, I'm starting to lose my voice. I'm worried it's that time of the year. Let's hope not. All right, let me get some more whiskey. Not that you'll know. I'm just going to pause it and come back, but I'm going to get some more whiskey and I'll be right back. Yeah, I'm going to play that disco music for you again for no reason whatsoever, uh, just so you can get a drink while I get a drink and then we'll both come back and maybe one of our voices will still work. Yeah, get and drink music. All right, we're back. <laughs> All right, next story I want to talk about, let's talk about Eric Holder, uh, a man who I, I, I honestly, I, I can't despise a man more than I despise Eric Holder. Eric Holder, of course, was attorney general under Obama. He was a race-baiting, race-war-starting piece of shit who uh, helped Obama do the whole Fast and Furious gun-running scandal. He also was involved with promoting race riots in the wake of the uh, Brown shooting in the wake of the Trayvon Martin shooting he was involved with, basically trying to literally have people go in from the Department of Justice, go to these communities, and incite them to come out and riot and march. And if that doesn't sound like something that you should be against and our government should not be doing, then I don't know, there's something wrong with you. So, notorious piece of shit. Now, of course, Eric Holder is also Trump derangement syndrome-centric, uh, he is now coming out, and this is after Donald Trump basically had said, and he was mocked on Twitter for this, uh, but I laughed, and just saying, like, look, all this shit, man, you know, the Democrats coming after me, trying to impeach me over this nonsense. He goes, you know, this is how you end up with a civil war, too. And he's not wrong. I've said it before. He's not wrong. The path the Democrats are going down, talking about taking people's guns away, going door to door, doing mandatory buybacks, the, uh, the Beta O'Rourke program. If you go ahead and try to impeach Donald Trump, and it actually happens, now it never will because the Senate won't have that happen. Number, you know, two things happen. Number one, if it actually does go through, you may have a civil war in your hands because you are quite literally going against democracy. Not that democracy is the best, mind you, but still going against a democratically elected president who has a quite a bit of support to this day, and not from lefty woke fucktards but from a lot of people who happen to own the guns these people want to take away, you've got people that are on the left that they were really cheerleading this concept, saying like, I'll sign up today. It's like, you will die in minute one. You will be dead. If the boogaloo comes, you will be instantly dead. You'll be insta-dead, like my Instapot, which I couldn't get the goddamn lid back on. What the fuck is up with Instapots? I sometimes I can get the lid on. Sometimes, 10 minutes, spin in the lid. Won't go back on. Sentient machine refuses to <laughs> refuses to be tamed. Anywho, so now you got these assholes, including Eric Holder, and every time you know, every time Trump jokes about staying in office, right? They go, "Oh my God, Trump's going to stay in office." This madman, uh, and he's clearly clearly joking. 
clearly does it just to, to get the exact reaction they give to him. And these people just keep buying into it. But now Eric Holder goes on some, some shitbag program, The Breakfast Club. I don't even know what I don't even know what channel it's on. Who cares? But he's on The Breakfast Club radio show. And Holder says he's convinced that Trump will lose his reelection, but Democrats have a lot to do to make sure the election is fair. And here's the quote. It's going to be hard because the reality is that Republicans are going to cheat. They're going to keep, they're going to try to keep people away from the polls. They're going to move polling places. They're going to do a whole variety of things that when we had a voting rights act that was intact and a justice department that was concerned about it, we could prevent a lot of stuff. Of course, hilarious that this, this man, oh, it was on Charlemagne the God. It was on Breakfast Club. So actually I like Charlemagne the God, by the way, um, just FYI. So anywho, you got this statement, which is ironic considering the fact that Eric Holder, as I mentioned earlier, is the guy who went out of his way to, uh, to do a, quote, whole variety of things, to use his own words, uh, that were not exactly eye to eye with what people who created this country or nor anybody would think of the Department of Justice's role. But to say that Republicans are going to cheat that they're going to move points. This is such theoretical, straw man, idiotic nonsense. And yet you have it being reported on. You have people buying it hook, line, You have the Trump deranged Democrats convinced that this is an actual thing that may occur, that the GOP will move polling places do you think that that somehow wouldn't affect everybody? And if they did somehow, if there was a rash of moving polling places, which by the way, I've never seen a rash of moving polling places happen to what confuse voters. And they're going to mail everybody and be like, don't tell your neighbors. We're going to move the polling places to this a block away. Media is not going to get wind of that. The community at large isn't going to get wind of that. You don't think that word's going to get out. What are they going to fucking move them in the middle of the night and not tell anybody? And then in the morning, like you're like you're picking up a pledge you're hazing and you're telling them he's in the fraternity. You're going to go knock on people's doors at four in the morning and throw them in a van and take him to the point place. I'm like, shush, don't tell anybody where it is. It's so fucking stupid on its face that it's shocking a man would even say it. Not only that, but to say the Republicans are going to go cheat. Now, this, this strikes me as funny because now in the 2016 election, actually, I think it was, it might've not even been the regular election. I think it might've been during the, uh, the midterms. One Republican area did this and several democratic areas did it in, in, uh, areas where they either flipped red or blue. One flipped red, something like four or five flipped blue, and especially in California, because they made it legal to vote harvest. Now, if you don't know what vote harvesting is, it is probably the most despicable practice I've ever heard of. And what it consists of is volunteers, quote unquote, volunteers, who always are, of course, activists, going door to door or going to homeless people in the streets finding old people, finding homeless people, finding drug addicts, finding people that aren't apt to vote, going to their houses. And we're told that they simply prevent, uh, present them with a ballot and allow them to choose their candidate and choose their issues. And then they will take the ballot and mail it in for them. Now, amazingly, 
where these people have gone out, uh, the activists always seem to have won the areas that they went out in. Uh, weird how that happens. Now, I don't know about you guys. Maybe I'm just cynical. But if it's me, right, and I'm an activist, let's say I'm a Democratic, nutbag, socialist-leaning dickhole. And I have the opportunity to go door to door in California, or let's say anywhere where it's a contested area, right? Let's say it's a contested precinct. It's barely split evenly. And I have an ability to go door to door, talk to old people who aren't with it, go to an old folks home, go to Skid Row with a bunch of ballots and go to these people and say, hey, who do you want to vote for? Well, let me tell you about this candidate. And that candidate, it's like when they did the old, do you like Clorox or brand X? And then of course, people who drank Clorox were like, I love Clorox. Then they just fall down dead. Um, That trial didn't work, by the way, not a great marketing plan. So these guys go door to door and they go, do you want Elizabeth Warren or do you want plan X? And the people probably not really being with it, either say, oh, I'll go with whatever you want. Or uh, they go, yeah, I don't know. I still like Trump, man. And then the activist goes, okay, great. Oh, you like Elizabeth Sand or Elizabeth Warren? Great. Well, let's get this ballot filled out for you and I'll make sure to mail it right away. Now, if they don't go with the candidate that they like, like, the, like our drug friend, <laughs> not to say the Trump supporters are drug addicts, but if you go with the candidate they don't like, we're now trusting this activist who we know specifically wants to get only blue candidates elected and is going door to door for that exact reason and filling these ballots out, harvesting them, if you will. We're now trusting that person to take the ballot that's for the candidate that they oppose and to take it to the polling station or to mail it for them. Now, raise your hands out there, kids, if you think these activists are actually going to take those ballots and mail them in or drop them off for the candidates they don't support rather than burning them or throwing them right in the goddamn trash. Ah, yep, by show of hands, seems like all of you think that that would never fucking happen. They're definitely not mailing them in. They're definitely going to throw them in the trash. Thus, this whole thing is a joke. It is a goddamn joke. So when you talk about cheating... I've seen a lot more cheating on the Democratic side with this ballot harvesting in states that are more apt to lean Democratic than I have anywhere else. So, and that to me also presents the biggest threat to democracy at this point, if we're weighing in on democracy and giving it its due. That seems to be a far greater threat because you think of how many people actually vote in elections, and it's still not that great. You know, the last election had the biggest turnout in a while, and that still wasn't huge. Because a lot of these people simply are not going to be active voting. And as you've seen, especially in California, uh, there's now in the, like the largest homeless population in the world lives here. So just by going around, like L.A. alone, you could probably get 40,000 ballots cast for uh, Elizabeth Warren in a presidential election just by walking around in California and talking to all the homeless. You're telling me this isn't going to have some sort of an impact? You're telling me that if this isn't enacted, if this is enacted statewide or nationwide, this isn't going to have an impact on how people turn out to things? Now, you can fight fire with fire. You can have everybody running to people's houses, knocking on their doors, shoving ballots in our face. Is that what people want? 
No. How about you let people that are motivated to fucking politically vote get out there and vote? And if they don't get out there and vote, well, maybe they shouldn't be voting in the first place because either they don't care, they're not educated enough to have an opinion, or they don't fucking want to go leave their house. They don't want to make the effort to get out there, in which case, fine, you still don't get an opinion. There you go. But at the worst, the worst we could do is let eager beaver activist assholes go and convince them that they have to cast a vote. Okay, next story comes from my brother-in-law, Stephen Betts, up in San Francisco, who, by the way, big cheers. Everybody raise a glass to Stephen. Uh, a man who started off liberal and now has come come full circle. He sent me, he was uh, drinking wine and reading Hayek. God bless you, Stephen. So he sent me an update on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And I didn't even see this story, so bless her for sending it to me, but... She now wants a bailout for taxi drivers in New York City. And she wants this because she says that these taxi drivers were conned into buying above market prices for taxi medallions back before the bubble burst in 2014, a.k.a. when Uber and Lyft came around. And she wants to bail these people out because some 950 taxi drivers filed for bankruptcy. All right. Great. Maybe your heart's in the right place. You feel for these taxi drivers. But again... This is a classic example of you in an industry that was operating with a monopoly on transportation, essentially in the city. People got around by taxi. They could, you know, people still got around by subway, but you had an industry which is dominating travel. You had people that were, you could argue if it was so dominant, if taxi medallions, they said we're going as high as a million dollars for a medallion, right? If people are willing to pay that, that tells me something. That tells me you have a broken, corrupt system in place, number one, and that is crony capitalism because it's the fucking state that is allowing these regulation bodies to profit like this. Yeah, your regulation is the fucking cause of this problem that now you're trying to use by bailing people out. And we're supposed to take a sector of the populace which voluntarily entered into these contracts even if they're exploitative, you voluntarily entered, voluntarily entered into it and you did it under one guise. And that was the guise that you knew it was so lucrative in New York City because they're getting gouged. Every time you get in a taxi, you're getting gouged for these prices, especially coming and going from the airport where minimum they fucking slap you with like a 50 goddamn dollar charge just for leaving the airport no matter how far you're going. They knew because of New York's cronious regulations protecting the taxi industry that they're going to make that money back. And can you imagine? You're a New York City taxi driver and you're paying a million dollars for a medallion. How much are all these other taxi drivers making? It's like when they say garbage men make enough money, except at least with garbage men, they're doing something kind of disgusting. I mean, taxi drivers, people are getting in out of your car. You're not even cleaning it. It's awful. You're selling ad revenue in there. It's a miserable time in a taxi. Thank God Uber came along and replaced you. And now I'm supposed to feel bad for these taxi drivers who were signing up more than eager to get into a racket they knew was going to pay off because of the crony capitalist environment they were working in. I'm supposed to feel sorry for these people that, oops, sorry, the market changed. Whoops, tough shit. You're not allowed to gouge me anymore. Now there's a different option for me to take and it's far better and it's far nicer it's far cheaper. Now, granted, New York City has tried because of the taxi lobby. It has tried to make it as difficult as possible to be an Uber driver or Lyft driver in New York City. They already have. Now you got to get licensed. 
So the you know the city's making revenue off that, trying to make it extra difficult, trying to keep people out of the industry so the taxi drivers don't get pissed off. Now they're trying to make it just like California, trying to make it more difficult for these companies to operate because you got to pay them a certain amount, you got to offer healthcare and all this other horse shit. This is not because they're benevolent; it's because of crony capitalism, the taxi lobby. So I'm sorry if I don't feel bad for you that you declared bankruptcy after you tried to fuck people over after you bought into this industry. You have no sympathy for me. The taxpayers were already getting gouged. And now you want to gouge them more by paying off and bailing out these poor taxi drivers? Fuck you. (laughs) I mean, get the hell. And can you pick a, a populace that is less sympathetic than taxi drivers in New York City? Got it. Why don't you pick? How about you have you have me root for the SS in Nazi Germany? How about that? Why do we? Uh, how about this? How about the guys who were whipping Jesus in the desert in Ben Hur? <laughs> I'm supposed to feel bad for some of the most unlikable, surly people in the industry. People that would never let you know if you left your phone, your purse, or their cab. Good luck ever getting that back. People that wouldn't give a shit about you if anything happened. People who honestly hate your goddamn guts. People who don't clean their taxis ever. Get out of here. Ah, if you could see me, bail this out. Like the old Roddy Dears will grab my nuts. Bail this out, sister. That's just absurd. That was also my best New York cab driver uh, impression. Bail this out, Alexandria. Uh, just absolutely absurd. Uh, and another, it's just another instance. When you've got a dying industry, the leaps and bounds and hoops people will jump through to try to keep these things going for personal gain, or uh, she's pretending this is at some sort of uh, some sort of hard, hard knock anti case, but give me a break. Give me a break. This is all lobbying. This is all crony capitalism, like it always is with any dying industry that used to be prominent and powerful and has all this money and union influence within the city that has fallen on hard times because, whoops, the market changed things. So they always try to keep competition down. They always try to say that their plate is the worst plate. Meanwhile, sorry, your monopoly's gone. All hail the new king. Oh, let's finish this episode up, everybody. Bye. Oh, by the way, she was our idiot of the week. I forgot to announce that. Idiot of the week. Uh, One thing I want to talk about, this is awesome. I love it. And, And I just... I'm just blown away by people being upset about this. But Japan Airlines has a seat map, which now shows you where crying babies might be, you know, or just babies in general. And having, you know, I've got a baby on the way. Uh, I am uh, very excited for my baby, but also very conscious of when I fly, I would actually love it if there was a babies only section of the airplane that was, you know, soundproofed that had extra ventilation for stinky diapers, that had something to protect my fellow passengers from my crying baby because I'm not an asshole. I know I come across as an asshole and my professional professional podcasting persona is that of an asshole. But I'm actually very conscious in public and I would be mortified if I was keeping people up on an airline, if my baby wouldn't shut up. And no matter how much I shake it and bang it against the the luggage compartment. (laughs) But... This feature on Japan Airlines seat booking system warns you where young children are going to be seated. And it's causing a storm online of a bunch of fucking asshole parents that are somewhat 
pissed off about this, as though there's some something wrong with wanting to avoid sitting next to a crying baby or a young child. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about this. So this is called at the seat booking system, and I guess this facility is called a smile support travel service for those with infants, uh, lights up the internet. And people were saying, thank you for letting me know where babies plan to scream and yell during a 13-hour trip. This ought to be mandatory. Yeah, I agree. But of course, predictably, people with kids, people that are just easily offended and ultra sensitive got a tweet back to, and I'm not going to read all these verbatim, I just don't feel like doing it, but tweeting back things like, oh, you know, I intentionally sat next to two babies and while some of them were fussy, uh, uh, drunken adults were worse. Okay, really? You're going to tell me that on average, drunken adults on airplanes are worse than crying babies? I mean, if you've ever been next to a crying baby, of course, people are also like, oh, we'll just use noise-canceling headphones. No. If you've been next to a crazy crying baby, it does not help. And these flights are miserable enough. People are somehow pretending as though flying... And especially if you're going like Japan Airlines, you're flying on a 14-hour flight, let's say, from Los Angeles. Flying's miserable. Unless you're in first or business class, in which case, God bless you. And I've done it a few times, and it's quite nice. But if you're flying in coach, you're in misery. I'm, I'm 6'3", right? I can't sleep on planes. I'm incredibly uncomfortable. I'm too tall for the seats now because they fucked it all up. A crying baby, as I'm trying to watch a movie, trying to get a 20-minute nap, is a miserable experience. And it's miserable for the parents too. That's what I don't get about this. I'm sure, you know, honestly, some of these people are probably assholes with kids. Half of them are probably assholes without kids who are just saying, oh, well, I want to defend these people because it's just ridiculous that parents should should feel bad or that, that these people are worried about a baby. Meanwhile, if you're a parent, like I was saying, I'd rather have a section cordon off. I'd rather have people know where my baby was sitting and be able to avoid it if possible. Now, I do agree it would be some bullshit if they start charging people to pick seats away from babies, but as a perk for an airline, genius. I hope everybody starts to do it. It's wonderful. In fact, you know what? I, you know what I'd like? Instead of having, you know, just, just a seat warning, I want specific seats where people can sit with crying infants, and it's like, you know, when the little air breather falls out of the ceiling? How about instead of that, just a soundproofing curtain falls out of the ceiling? Wouldn't that be lovely? We can make it happen. It'll look like Daniel-san in the shower in the original Karate Kid. Okay, let's wrap it up. Uh, let's also pray that I'm not getting sick and this vocal uh, inflammation is simply an exercise in yelling and, uh, and not sleeping for five goddamn days with this fucking pinched nerve in my neck. But before I go, I want to remind you, you can get your Taxation is Death mug at lionsofliberty.store and they are the hottest item for fall. You want a pumpkin spice latte? You want to drink it in a cup that reminds people that, hey, taxation's not just theft, man. Taxation is death. Taxation literally is killing people abroad. It is quite literally funding murders in Yemen right now because people, hey, taxation ain't just about the money taken out of your pocket and what it does to your family. It's about what that money goes towards. So get your mug Put some anarcho coffee in it. How about that idea? Lions of Liberty forward, lionsofliberty.com forward slash coffee. You can get your coffee there. Delicious, medium dark roast. Mm, called the morning roar. Put that coffee in the mug. Put them together. We'll get some money out of it. And that makes me happy to think about. 
and also, guys, check out our documentary, And Live Free, where we put a lot of our money into from Dan Smots. He followed us around with Pork Fest. He did some interviews. Fantastic documentary. Mark was just on the Tom Woods show talking about it last week. That can be found at lionsofliberty.com forward slash live free. And uh, in regards to Mark, make sure to listen to him on Mondays. He just had Daniel McAdams on, who, of course, as actually was one of his first interviews. Uh, pretty crazy. So he just had him back on talking about Trump, talking about impeachment, talking about a bunch of things. Of course, I am Wednesdays, and John Odermatt is on every Friday with Felony Friday talking about the ironically named criminal justice system. And actually, he was just at a uh, fantastic justice reform forum with uh, Maj Torre, with Larry Sharp, and uh, another gentleman, a reverend, I'm blanking on his name, but that was a, uh, a really interesting show to listen to, so do not miss it. All right, that's it. I'm going to go lie down. I'm going to go play some Legend of Zelda. Just got the remake of Link's Awakening. I think I've earned it. All right, from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty, from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into Liberty.